Hey, dear listener, Anthony here. Before we hop into the show, I wanted to let you know about an incredible new resource we just released, The Five Rules of Investing. Dan and I are huge advocates of modeling the behaviors of the people who have done what you hope to do. And who better to model when it comes to investing than legendary investors like Warren Buffett, Howard Marks, and Ray Dalio? This free ebook breaks down the simple time-tested strategies of billionaire real estate investors that you can use to take your investing to the next level. So head over to InvictusMultifamily.com and grab your ebook today. All right, now let's hop into the show. Hello and welcome to Multifamily Investing Made Simple in Under 10 Minutes. This is the podcast where we take the complexity out of real estate investing so that you can take action today. And today we're going to be doing that around the topic of how do you find the money to actually invest in real estate? I'm not sitting on you know, just barrels of doublooms, Dan Kruger. What do I do what? if I... I'm not. I'm sitting on a chair from Staples. It was $50. I'm poor. <laughs> But I want to invest in real estate because I know long term it's a great investment vehicle. What do we do, man? Help me out. Yes, yeah, that's the biggest barrier to entry, right? With the large multifamily properties, is mm-hmm. you know you're going to have to put 25 percent down on something if you're actively doing it yourself, or if you're investing as a passive investor. Nine times out of ten, there's going to be a minimum of uh, usually fifty thousand dollars to invest. So. Uh, for a lot of people, that can seem a little bit daunting if they're used to, um, you know, investing in mutual funds where you could. You know, invest uh, as little as you know twenty some dollars into a share of something. So the the big question is, how do you find fifty grand? And there's a few uh, key spots uh, that you can look. Uh, we'll start with the biggest and most intuitive and most obvious, which is uh, cash in your checking account or savings account. All right, get that out of the way, uh, just so we can have it on the list, and that's a complete list. But that's the obvious one. So what are some of the less intuitive? sources for finding capital. Um, I think one of the um, uh, the most readily available and uh, ones that, one that probably a lot of people don't realize that they can tap into for this type of thing is their uh, retirement funds. Um, so if you have a 401k that's left over from an old employer, or if you've been, um, you know, contributing to your own uh, IRA, maybe just in a Vanguard or Ameritrade account. You've got a Roth IRA where you're shoving money outside of your your uh, your 401k program through your employer. Um, those funds can actually be utilized for investing into real estate. Um, key there is that you have to transfer those funds into something called a self-directed IRA. And uh, I think one thing that's confusing about that for a lot of people is that it sounds like a a new kind of IRA account, kind of like you have your traditional IRA and you've got your Roth, and then you've got the self-directed over here, which sounds like another version of an IRA account, but really self-directed IRA just means uh, the custodian uh, standing in the middle. So self-directed IRA is the same thing as uh, advanced, or uh, I'm sorry, as uh, Ameritrade or uh, Vanguard, it's just the institution standing in between you and your money. So the self-directed IRA is a special kind of institution who can facilitate the transaction if you choose to use retirement funds. Now, the downside of using, say, a 401k or an IRA that you rolled into an SDIRA, the downside is that you can't invest it into your own deal. You can't invest it into a family member who's related to you on the vertical family tree. So that's Mm -hmm. your parents. If your dad has a deal, if your mom has a deal, you can't invest in it. 
vice versa, your parents can't invest with their retirement funds into your own deal. And, um, but you can go horizontally, which is a little strange. So that means your siblings, is that mm-hmm. right? Like you can, you can have your siblings invest in your deal and you can invest in your siblings deal. So, so that's lateral. As long as it's lateral, none of that vertical stuff. So that's going to be a really powerful way. And honestly, uh, most people that are investing into the types of syndications that we put together, they're using self-directed funds from a retirement account because it's, you know, you can get better returns in that vehicle. And just a lot of people don't realize it's available. So another option that is available to people. Now, this is one that we haven't talked about before, but I've been thinking about it recently. If you know, there's a $50,000 minimum, now that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be all of your money. You could create an LLC. You could partner with somebody else probably, pull your money into the LLC entity, and then that LLC entity invests into the deal. Now, you're going to want to talk to the operator of the deal. They might not allow that. It might just be something they're not familiar with or comfortable with. But functionally, if you and say your brother both have $25,000 and you want to invest in a deal, you could put them together in an LLC and then use that to invest into the deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a very creative strategy because as, as far as the operator of the deal is concerned, that's one entity coming in. So checks mm-hmm. the box of the $50,000 minimum. So it might be you and three coworkers or you and some buddies just that just like to get together and talk about investing and stuff like that. Um, sometimes combining resources like that could be very powerful. Mm-hmm. Yep. So another way, and now as we get into these other ways, I, I don't know if I recommend them super highly for syndications in particular, but they're great ways to get involved in real estate. If you're looking to be an active investor, maybe get your first property under your own belt. The reason I don't necessarily recommend them for a syndication is because a syndication is a long-term hold. You know, you're going to have your money locked up for five to seven years. And these next couple of sources, they're, they're a little bit better if you have an investment on a shorter horizon. So one of those is using your HELOC. So if you have a home, a primary residence, you probably have a lot of equity tied up into it. For most people, that's where the majority of their net worth resides. So you could borrow against that, open up a home equity line of credit, take that money and borrow against it and get that money working for you. Like I said, though, I don't know if that's like the best strategy in a syndication because the HELOC rates are typically floating in relation to, it used to be the LIBOR, right? Like maybe one, 1% 1% plus prime. Um, maybe not so much these days, but you, it's not so good to be into like an adjustable rate vehicle like that when you're locked in on a long-term investment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the main thing there is that you're paying interest on the money, unlike the uh, self-directed IRA uh, component and the pooling of resources with your friends. There's no you know, cost of capital to that per se. You're not paying interest to get the money. So as we kind of go down this list of uh, resources for finding the money, um, we've kind of ordered these in the way, uh, basically best to worst, meaning as we go down, the cost of capital is going to increase. And the, um, I guess our, our opinion is that they become less and less ideal as we get to the bottom of the list here. Mm-hmm. So kind yeah, of it's, the, it- it's kind of like asking yourself, what's the highest and best use of my money or my equity? Like getting that maximum velocity of capital. And let's say you have $100,000 of equity tied up into your primary residence. Right now, it's just sitting there dead. It's not doing anything for you. But if you could borrow that at, say, a 4% interest rate and then invest that into some deal that's you know generating 8 9 10 or above, well, the delta between what you're paying in interest and what you're receiving back in returns 
it might justify, you know, doing that. But again, like your risk tolerance has to be there. You have to be comfortable with that. And again, I think it's better if you're doing like a short term fix and flip type thing where you're going to get that money back a little bit quicker than in a long term syndication. Yeah. And I'd probably recommend that if somebody has a decent amount of equity in their house and they're fully capable of supporting uh, a slightly higher mortgage that they, instead of doing a HELOC, given where rates are right now, it's probably better just to do a, a straight up cash out refi where you can lock in these historically low interest rates. I think the average uh, rate these days is, you know, well, the average is under 3%, but realistically that's not for uh, most people. That's people with a really good credit score and people that are only taking about 50% leverage. But if you're able to pull out about a hundred grand in equity and still only pay about three and a half percent interest on that, and it's fixed for 30 years, um, the, the rate of inflation is basically going to wash out that that cost of capital there. So that's a relatively lower risk way to do it as opposed to the HELOC. HELOC mm-hmm. is more flexible, um, but the the cash out refi is, is a good way to get that capital and and have that rate locked in for long a long period of time. Yeah, that's actually a really strong idea. I don't know if we've talked about that one, but if you can justify it, like if you can withstand that higher mortgage payment, and honestly, depending on your terms, it, with the low interest rates, it might not be functionally all that much higher. It depends. So yeah. you might run that down with your your lender and see where they, where they fall on it. Now, the last option is one that you utilize to get into your very first deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and honestly, if we're going to put these in order, I'd probably put this above uh, the yeah. HELOC uh uh, methodology, but another source of funds that people don't really think of um, right away is using life insurance. Um, this was something that I utilized to get into my first deal. And if you've got a policy that's structured appropriately, um, that has a lot of cash value to it, uh, we're not going to go down the full rabbit hole right now on this concept, but what you could do effectively is you could borrow against that uh, life insurance policy and still leave the policy intact. You're not withdrawing the money. So the money in that account is still earning the dividend, you know, whatever the uh, the terms are that you've got on that policy that it keeps functioning as it is, but it lets you utilize that capital in two places at once effectively. Um, you know, the, the, the alternative to that is just, you know, liquidating it. If you don't feel like you need a life insurance policy, you're going to get dinged with taxes and, and fees and things like that. So I think it's usually much better for people to, uh, borrow against it. Usually the life insurance company that has, that holds the policy is the, uh, the lender in that scenario. So you wouldn't necessarily go to a bank and say, Hey, can I borrow against this life insurance policy? They'll certainly do that for you. But the easiest way to do it is just go to maybe it's Northwestern mutual or something like that and say, Hey, I'd like to take a policy loan against this. And you might have, you know, 60,000 of cash value in there. They'll lend you $60,000 at basically the exact same rate of interest that they're paying you, uh, in that account. So the the interest you're paying on the money that you're borrowing is getting washed out by the interest it's earning in the account. So it's effectively um, not really costing you much. You still do need to, you know, pay the interest on it, but at the same time that you're paying five, six, seven percent interest on the money you pulled out, you're earning five, six, seven percent on the money that's in the policy. So mm-hmm. it's a pretty powerful little tool. Yeah, that one's super powerful. I I saved it for last because it might not be as applicable to the majority of the audience. You have to have a life insurance policy that has mm-hmm. a decent amount of equity kind of uh, established, which yeah. I think most people probably don't. So, And I'm going to add in a caveat too, that there are a lot of people out there that really try to sell this concept hard. Mm-hmm. And it's not really efficient for people if you if you just found out about this and you're thinking about buying a life insurance policy for this purpose. Nope. It's nope. not that efficient. It really only becomes efficient if you're somebody who's sitting on 
you know, a large uh, amount of money and you're sitting there thinking, do I put this in a savings account or, oh, maybe there's this life insurance play. In that scenario, that would be fairly effective. Uh, if it's between a life insurance policy and a savings account, I'd say go with the life insurance policy. However, if you are, if you're thinking like, man, I only have, you know, a few thousand dollars, I'm going to start to tr throw this at a life insurance policy. It's going to be a couple of years before you actually build up that cash value and you can actually start to utilize it. So mm -hmm. not the most efficient, but if you already happen to have one, or if you have a bunch of cash that you're sitting there trying to figure out what to do with, as opposed to throwing it into a savings account that yields maybe a half a percent, uh, the life insurance route might be the most uh, efficient way for you to put that money where it's earning something like five or 6% and you get to utilize it somewhere else uh, mm -hmm. at the same time. So. Yeah. So those are a bunch of different ways that you can find money to get started investing in real estate. I have no idea if we went over 10 minutes on this one, dear listener, because I forgot to hit the stopwatch at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> so that's on me. So if we went over 10 minutes, uh, don't give us hate mail, but we will catch you guys next week. And we promise next time we'll keep it under 10. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of Multifamily Investing Made Simple. If you enjoyed the show, could you do us a massive favor? Head over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating and review. Your feedback, it means the world to us as it helps us grow and spread the word about multifamily investing. And don't forget, sharing is caring. So fire this episode over to any friends or family who you think could benefit from learning all about multifamily investing. Thanks, guys. We appreciate every single one of you, and we'll see you on the next show.